sure I'm the only one that didn't know about it. So I, I thought it would be a good um, idea to get some panelists on there to share that information and how schools are proceeding. And so I'll, I'll, I'll introduce the panels and then um, we can get started. So um, maybe the panel could introduce themselves first if you'd like to start, Tom. Tom Alderman. I'm the director of the secondary and adult division at the Vermont Agency of Education. Maggie Eaton, former teacher and now doing work around the state with obviously UVM work and through the Vermont Reads as well as with Elizabeth on some Google um, trainings and PDs. Thanks for coming. I'm Lauren Perrin. I have the best title in the state, I think. I'm the innovation coach in Addison Northeast. Matt Allen, I'm the innovation specialist <laughs> at St. Albans City School. Um, I previously have been a 4 6 writing teacher at St. Albans City. I stepped out of the classroom for a little bit, decided I liked the classroom more. No offense, I like kids more than adults. Um, so I'll be going back in the classroom next year as a 7th and 8th grade literacy teacher. And I'll apologize for the voice that's not projecting well right now. So the panel um, group was a new idea that Vermont uh, Bible Learn has, has done. So I was hoping to think of you know a way to that we could organize the panel. So again, in the agenda, it's in two parts, and the idea is that each each of these uh, uh, very innovative uh, specialists have something to contribute. So I thought maybe ten minutes they would present. Uh, we would then have questions. Um, and then at the end, we'll have even more dialogue. So it's not just us presenting, that we have some discussion and, um, and ask questions and, and that sort of thing. So how many of you have actually heard of Act 77 and are starting to implement it? So it's, it's yeah. So I think I've heard of it, but I wouldn't, I think there's a lot of complexities to it and how, how do we go about doing it? So maybe we could generate some ideas to how to proceed in the school and, and your role as teachers. So I think we're going to start off with Tom, and, um, and I'm going to set the timer because I want to make sure we, we, we all get through and have opportunity to hear from everyone. And if there's anything you want me to share on the screen as we're going through. Um, uh, did you put up a link to the agency's website? That's what I'll do now. Yeah. Uh, so on, on the agency website, there's lots of information about Act 77, the Flexible Pathways Initiative. And you should also, in that context, uh, be familiar with the education quality standards. Those are the rules that the State Board of Education uh, puts in place. Um, and you can find annotated versions of both of those documents and introductory information about each of them. Um, and in particular, I know our topic is around personalized learning plans. There is a page on the website devoted to that. Um, also, if you look under proficiency-based learning, you can see links to not only PLPs, but um, proficiency-based graduation <coughs> requirements. We've put out some guidance around that. Lots of information there on the agency website. So uh, your introduction suggested that I probably should say a little bit about how Act 77, the Flexible Pathways initi uh, Initiative, came to be um, in kind of that context, and then more specifically about personalized learning plans. So uh, this really started uh, some time ago in terms of the reform efforts that have gotten to us to where we are, but um, in 09, the legislature was uh, particularly in interested in trying to do something about 
what they perceived to be the uh, a dropout rate that was unacceptable. That uh, work and during that legislative session resulted in Act 44, um, and a lot of the language we now are using uh, first showed up there. For example, flexible pathways to graduation. And the title of that bill was, um, Act 44 rather, was 100% um, graduation rate by 2020. And it uh, identified students who would benefit from flexible pathways to graduation, as opposed to the original language that legislators were considering, which was 0% dropout rate by 2020 and identifying students at risk and thinking of ways to address that, such as uh, taking driver's license away if you dropped out or raising the mandatory attendance age from 16 to 18. Those things did not happen. We were able to turn that into a more positive context. Uh, that was um, what's called session law, not in statute. So what became Act 77 was an effort to put a lot of that work into statute. Um, so Act 77, the Flexible Pathways <coughs> Initiative, is inclusive of um, not only personalized learning plans, let me first say, I would argue that at its essence, it is about personalization, personalizing the learning experience for each student, placing the student at the center of the construction of their own learning experience. Um, and moving us beyond the traditional classroom experience and being able to take advantage of all of the learning opportunities that exist. So it talks about work-based learning, uh, greater access to career technical education, virtual blended learning, uh, dual enrollment, college and high school, and earning credit in both places, early college, which is uh, when a, the student in their senior year of high school is also doing their first year of college and graduating from high school and earning those credits at the college level. And then probably the key piece, and especially in terms of our conversation, um, Act 77 sets up the expectation that every student, seventh through ninth grade, so, sorry, seventh through twelfth grade, phased in over four years, will have a personalized learning plan. And uh, next year is the beginning of that phase in. Next year's seventh and ninth graders are, are supposed to have PLPs and then phased in over the next several years. It's supposed to be a planning um, opportunity that's a three-way partnership. Student, someone from the school, an educator, and parent or guardian. Um, I, I think you're gonna hear from Matthew, might talk a little bit later about uh, their experience and how they've been doing PLPs for a while, but one of the things they needed to add to that process was the, was the parent engagement. I would argue we also have to help both parents and students understand how to engage in that kind of process in a meaningful way. Students, students don't show up in seventh grade necessarily ready to uh, exercise their voice and express their interests and needs. Um, they need some training in advance of that to prepare them to be able to take on that responsibility. So this is not something that just starts in seventh grade. and the legislature was very explicit about that. While they required uh, this kind of personalization in the form of PLPs starting in the seventh grade, they clearly said personalization is something that's happening across the K-12 spectrum. 
it may not look quite the same at the elementary level as we're saying it should look at the secondary level, but it's happening there too. And part of that I would suggest is preparing students to take on that greater responsibility. So um, let me talk about the use of technology in the broader context of uh, flexible pathways to graduation and in specific context of PLPs. This is why I mentioned uh, education quality standards earlier. You really need to see Act 77 and EQS in combination. Act 77 is about personalization. EQS is about proficiency. You could do those two things separate from each other, but that's not the intention. The intention is that we are seeing personalization and a move to a proficiency-based system as complementary and working together. So uh, EQS has language around PLPs that mirrors what's in Act 77, same language. And, but it also says, and students should have learning opportunities in these content areas, the ones we think of traditionally, and around transferable skills. For example, communication, problem solving, um, critical thinking, and use of technology is one of those. So use of technology is woven throughout the effort to address transferable skills and to address content knowledge. Uh, so that's a very important part of it, helping students understand how, for example, to communicate using technology. Technology is also important in the context of the PLP as a document, as a living document. We need a platform that enables us to uh, engage in that planning process and document the results of that and to continually revise that document as students move through the, the process and to make it portable so that when a student moves from, for example, middle school to high school, that plan goes with them. If they uh, transfer from one school to another, if they go from high school to the tech center, that plan goes with them in a form that um, is understandable in the re on the receiving end. Uh, in other words, some consistency across the state, regardless of where a student might be. So one of the pages on the agency website around PLPs talks about the essential elements that should be in a personalized learning plan. And what we're saying is, minimally, every student's plan has to contain these elements. You can go beyond that, certainly, but you've got to contain these elements. Um, and in partnership with VSAC, the agency has made an investment in Naviance, which is a platform that can be used for this purpose. We're not saying you have to use Naviance, but um, we've made it possible for schools to use Naviance at a dramatically reduced cost uh, compared to what those who had been using it had been paying. So we're hoping over time there will, this will result in some commonality around what these look like, the elements that are contained in them, and the ability of students to take them with them wherever they might be going. So technology is a key piece of this. I would argue that um, it would be extremely difficult for us to do personalization and proficiency uh, in the way we want to if we didn't have rich technology solutions to help us do that. Very important part of it. I think I'm good. I'll, I'll give you my one minute. <laughs> Entirely up to you. Does anyone have questions or comment now? 
that was really well done overview in that 10 minutes, and I'm going to take it down more to how it feels in the classroom, having been a teacher for 40 years. How does it feel to teachers? And for a lot of teachers, I think it feels like this storm cloud above, this ominous cloud moving in, and people are overwhelmed. However, the good news, if you look at the first link here that I provide, learning from the cutting edge, as always, Vermont is the maverick state, and I happened upon this blog just the <coughs> other uh, day where we are being seen and touted as the state that's really taking this on and taking it on in a way that makes sense. And this blogger pointed out um, the richness of, this, of the act, the richness of what we are asking. And if you take a quick peek, um, <clears throat> there are four that he mentioned, and you can read those later, but he talks about is the best definition of proficiency-based or competency-based education I've ever seen, personalized learning, and you can read this at your own, um, and that there has to be support in this process. So moving back, I can get back here, I think I have this here. Yeah, just share them there. Um, back to the classroom, three years ago, actually it's four years ago now, we realized um, with Act 77 had not existed that we needed to start to help kids have a voice in their own learning and have and begin to think about documenting their learning in a very broad sense. And I know Matt, you're going to talk about this more in depth in a minute, but we realized that kids, first of all, do we ever let kids reflect on their own learning? And we realized that we didn't in our middle school. Um, we did not give kids time to stop and reflect on their own learning. And we began based on, and Elizabeth did this work with our middle school, um, we began to have, we began to build e-portfolios. And so if you look at the planning link here, uh, we realized that the first thing we had to do, we had just come off of MEASC and we had our school core values and to make this really meaningful, we felt that each child in seventh grade should begin to put artifacts that documented their evidence of meeting these core values, which by the way were not all academic. And I think this comes into the PLPs and the profici proficiency-based graduation requirements as well. And I'm proud of the work we did. And you can take a look here, and you can see some of the videos. Um, we started with the kids. We actually brought all 300 of our middle school kids into the auditorium at one time, which was really scary, let me tell you. And we put them in groups, and we had them talk about what is it that's important to them. And what is it in their lives that they feel they need to be working on? And from there, Elizabeth met with small groups of students who developed the templates that we then used. Um, the hardest part was reflection. And I think Tom's right. We have to have support. When do we ask kids to reflect on their own learning? And do we value that? And I think Vermont is now saying we do value that. So, my big pitch, because I'm looking at the clock here, and we're going to let you talk in just a few minutes, is that I think it's really important that we, as a state, put all of this together from the classroom level, that we not see this, as Tom said, as isolated bodies of work, but that we begin to build, and I think portfolios are the way to go. And I think, personally, I'm going to be biased here, that some of the Google tools that we have available are a very rich, rich way for kids to embed 
videos, embed artifacts, embed powerful work that they've accomplished. And by the way, some of our eighth graders had videotapes of their soccer games when they made their first goal. I mean, a kid who was afraid to join the soccer, soccer team finally made his first goal and wrote passionately about that and put the video of that goal into his portfolio. Um, another piece of this is I think that deeper learning, and if you look at the what is deeper learning and you look at the work of the Hewlett, um, <coughs> what Hewlett says is deeper learning and the schools that they're working with around the country to look at making these portfolios be based on the authenticity and the connection to the real world that our keynote spoke about this morning. And the kids believing that they can make a difference in the community and that they, their schoolwork should be connected to that community. Um, I think that's a part of it as well. And I'm thinking, am I out or am I still yakking here? Um, two other things. Um, I have a middle school in Maine. I was really impressed by this particular unit as an example of that. Um, and it was what they were doing. Um, around, as I recall, it was a science unit. I tried to find some examples and you can look at those at your own time. Um, so I'll show you one example here that um, we actually did with our own school with the help of our esteemed librarian who's sitting in the room, Dan Green. And uh, this was a bit of a shift for kids and we asked them to choose an issue that they were passionate about. And we gave a significant amount of time for them to not only research that particular issue, but then to take action on it. And in, in this particular case, the kids actually did um, videos. They did PSA videos and tried to pitch their, um, their position. So I am yakking on here, and it's getting a little random. So I am going to end by saying my main thrust is don't look at this as another thing in a storm cloud hanging over hanging above us as an ominous, scary storm, but look at it as the Vermont, as the Maverick State, we're going to do it right, and we're going to make our kids, um, students, the, the students that were described this morning in the keynote, the students that will be able to make a difference in their own lives, and that their schooling will be the foundation for that. So, at this point, I believe, Elizabeth, we have time for the group to talk, correct? Yeah, you have four minutes left for her, so That's all right, I'm going to give it to them, because yeah. they, they well, don't I'm need to listen to me yak on. A, a collaborative document, and the address is up there, so if people um, would like to enter questions there, or just ask them now at the panel, anybody have any questions or comments based on what we've heard so far? And if you didn't have questions yet, I, I put a little question there, which is, what is the teacher role in putting all of this together? And what is the student role? Because I think it needs to be both. So maybe if everybody could turn and talk, just for a few minutes, what is the teacher role in all of this work, and what is the student role, if you don't mind? Find a friend and chat yeah, it up. Yeah, if you want to enter what you would turn and talk, and then enter some notes in this document, that would be nice. That it would sort of generate right. some ideas.
what side. There may be different people or something. And that's too. a yeah. that's a go, not a zero. Yeah. yeah. So I find the pump for you, Matt. So you're going to yeah. take it home. Well, you know the good news about our program is we started those three years ago. We're now in high school. They moved from the seventh grade and now the ninth grade, and they can come and but it's that's where we get that's where it stops. If I'm so proud of our middle school teachers because what they did is they went to the school board and they presented and the school board sort of richness and then said, This is a no brainer, this is gonna
the teacher's side, our experience, my experience is, if the teacher is willing to give up some control and really allow for this to be, am I not speaking loudly enough? Sorry. Battling some things, so apologies. Um, my experience is that if the teacher is willing to release some control and really allow it to be about the kid, that it's not a reflection on you as a teacher, some of that time, can be, you can get that back. I think the time when it becomes a real issue, so there is some reflection and that stuff is required, but what we have found is if you allow the kids to really own this and have it be about the kids, you'll see it's not taking a lot more time than the other stuff you've had to do. If you're not doing grading and you're not doing report cards and you're not doing all this other stuff, there's it, it really evens out nicer. We've actually just been having this conversation at City School right now. Um, you would do to find ours is where is where we're focusing on, but it's happened elsewhere as well. Well, we still have to do all this stuff, and now you're giving us this. We have to write narratives on all the kids we have, the PE teachers. They have over 200 kids each. You know, yeah, they have to write a reflection. But if you take away the four, three, two, ones that they were doing, and you give something quality that's really valuable to the kids, then it, it actually we found out it really does even out. Um, so I think while the time is a fear, as you get into it, you realize that you're you're taking something off your plate as you bring something up onto your plate, or ideally that's the case. So that's how we've handled it. I'd add to that too if we think about the keynote this morning where we were teachers as being people who support all learners. If you're looking at that as your vital role instead of I'm pouring mathematics into your head, then you really value the kind of time and, and it's much easier to manage things. I also would say that um, I'm not so sure that there is a rub with standardized testing because I believe firmly that my learners who are studying what they want to study are really reading deeply. You should see some of these manuals I want to see them as very different things, yeah. so I'm struggling to respond to that. So let, let me try it this way. 
Um, Vermont is an SBAC state, smarter balanced for that uh, federal accountability kind of testing. Um, that is a computer adaptive assessment. That has a lot of advantages, not the least of which is it means that you don't have to test every student at the same time. Uh, I hope that eventually down the road we will get to a place where we are applying that kind of standardized assessment uh, when students are ready for the content of that assessment, not on some calendar that says this is the day we do it. Now for a while we're stuck with a window um, it, because we have to fit this into this accountability system. But even there, uh, some students may be ready to do it at the beginning of that window and some students may need the extra time uh, to engage with that content before they in, engage with that assessment. So that's a summative assessment. And by the way, it's not standardized in the sense that every student is taking the same test. Because it's computer adaptive, it's quite likely that every student has seen a somewhat different assessment because it's choosing the next question based on what you did on the previous question. It's gonna give us a much better picture of a student's proficiency. But that's only in ELA and math. Uh, we have the task of developing similar assessments for the next generation science standards that align with those. But then there's another accountability context, and that is the building a state accountability system that gives us the kind of broad, rich, deep picture of what's going on in a school that the federal accountability, which just looks at that kind of standardized testing and grad rates, uh, that, it, that doesn't tell us what's really going on in the school. So the state is engaged now in trying to build that state accountability system that looks at lots of things. Um, how a school is implementing PLPs might be one of those. We might be, uh, well, the education quality standards require that we engage in what's called an education uh, quality review. One element of that might be, let us see uh, some samples of your uh, PLPs that you, you're using with students. Let's see some samples of your, let, rather, let's see your proficiency-based proficiency graduation requirements. How are those reflected in a student's PLP? What kind of activities are they engaging in? How are you documenting that information? So that may well be part of that accountability system that's trying to take that deeper look. And um, wasn't, didn't Vermont submit a, a proposal of what you're describing to the federal government, did they not, and they're waiting to? Uh, no, not really. Uh, what we did was we uh, toyed with the idea of a waiver a couple of years ago when those right. first became available. We decided right. not to do that. We're glad that we decided not right. to. A lot of states have said we wish we hadn't right. because it turned out uh, not to really create the flexibility that was promised there. We think we're better off where we are, which is the original form of NCLB. Uh, but what we have said more recently, our secretary has said is uh, we believe that's a flawed system. Right. We don't want to do that. We think there's a better way to do it. Right. And that's what I'm talking about in, as a state accountability system that we right. believe makes more sense. Right. Uh, the next line, uh, someone posted, do the NAMIAS as a planner do portfolio management to the extent required? So I, again, I, I think the idea of a lot of schools have been using portfolios for a while, 
Can I just mention in the context of using technology to document students' uh, performance and progress, there's some work that's starting now around performance assessment that the Great Schools Partnership in Maine is helping us with. Um, the idea there is that we take those transferable skills and develop the task models and then content-based tasks uh, that fit those models that will enable us to assess a student against those transferable skills and in a way that is moderated scoring that is uh, teachers will be trained to score these in a way that gives us a valid and reliable result that we can compare an element of that work is to uh, develop a, a platform uh, that this student work product can go into and not just the product of that particular performance assessment, but any student work product that you want to uh, make part of that overall body of evidence that you're going to look at to make determinations for student progression and graduation. And I've asked the question, does the fact that we're, we're applying this kind of moderated scoring to specific transferable skills limit the kind of work product evidence that might go into that? The answer is no. It can be anything. It can be a video of um, you know, the, the play the student is engaged in, which might provide evidence of a student's communication skills. So uh, there are things coming along that are going to uh, create opportunities for us to capture all of this evidence in ways that I think will be very useful. I can speak to my school what differentiated is actually we use the core values, which is what we said earlier. Can, um, Dan, you can help me out with this because you're the school. But the seventh grade looks different than the seniors, correct? Sure. Um, put me on the slide, go ahead. Oh, I love it, Dan. So, so what we did is we took our core values and beliefs and we used those as the different talking points for the e-portfolio.
I know it's common, but I, I mean, I understand all this, that's why it's here. But it's, it's sort of gotten lost for a while. The ePortfolio is actually real close to that right now. Um, and we've been meeting with all of the middle schools and all of the eighth graders. We have something that's called directed study that the kids have to go back and work with the teacher. And it's sort of, it's not really a study hall, but it is a study hall. Shouting out answers. I know, I knew Lauren. I said, it. oh, Lauren's going to get, so I think a lot of that will be answered. 